Welcome, welcome to the Palpa Show. <laughs> Since there's like no editing, I'm just making up my own jingles as I go along. Um, today, I am speaking with Jessica Steele, who is a relationship coach, which is really fascinating to me because recently I've started seeing the world in the lens of relationships. And so, yes, Jessica, I read your bio and like, please elaborate on your entire journey, how you've gotten to this point, because it says over a decade of just like gaining experience, essentially, that is your data. So give us a synopsis of like your conscious experience up until this point. Oh boy. Okay. That's a big first question. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me here and for having me on your podcast right now. I just want to appreciate that and appreciate you for doing this and for broadcasting as much insight and mindfulness as you can to people and to listeners. And so in terms of my journey, I am a relationship coach. Yes, I'm a self-love mentor relationship coach. I put that caveat in there where I focused on being a self-love mentor first and foremost, because I ended up realizing that in order for me to have healthy and fulfilling and productive relationships, I really needed to start from myself first. And so I ended up changing my title from relationship coach to self-love mentor and relationship coach in that order specifically, because I realized how essential that order was to being able to get myself to a place where I could love and respect and appreciate myself. And therefore in turn, surround myself with people and in a romantic context in partnership where I also am feeling fulfilled in those ways and loved in those ways. But just to give a bit of background on myself, I mark the beginning of my journey over a decade ago because that was when I started asking myself these deeper questions. And I started wondering just a lot about what I had learned growing up as Wait. a young adult or as a teenager. Yes, go ahead. Can I can I ask how old were you, were you when all of this when you were coming started to questioning? Yes. Yeah, so I gosh, I started wondering more about what my place was in the world and especially about myself romantically probably when I was maybe 16 or 15 around that time. Oh so wow. This was over a decade ago, like back when I was in high school. And that was when I first started having serious relationships. And probably by about the time I, oh, that's a whole story too. We could go back to there. Yes, go to there. Yeah, we can go there. We'll go there. (laughs) (laughs) We can go there. So my journey, raw and authentic, when I was in high school was when I had an experience of being in an abusive relationship. And that was just a very confusing time because when you're 16 years old and you have a lot socially, you know, that you're trying to work out and you have a lot of expectations and a lot of social pressure and, you know, you're in high school, you want to present yourself in a certain way. That is a really challenging time to be starting to figure out all these questions of, well, who am I and why am I here? And so that was a very defining experience for me. I actually talk about that a little bit more. I did a TEDx talk in 2014 and 
it's called the death of poor me, like poor me as in, oh, poor me. Because when I did that TEDx talk, that was my first time actually publicly speaking about being in a sexually abusive relationship. And it was a very challenging experience, but basically it became the foundation for what I wanted to do with compassion coaching, because it ended up teaching me that at that point in my life where I was so lost and I felt just very confused. I had so many questions. I didn't at that point necessarily have a role model who could provide the type of support that I could look up to that was emotionally present for me at that time. Uh, there was just a lot going on in my personal life and in my family life. And my parents had recently gone through a really painful divorce. So there was a lot of emotional tension and pain there that I wasn't fully able to lean on an adult figure at that time for support. And so being in that relationship, it really felt like my only form of attention or love that I was receiving from someone. And so that was where I started seeing the foundation of what I thought love was. And as the years passed, I really, really had to question that. I very seriously had to question that because there were just so many things that were ha happening or that I was experiencing that really didn't feel loving. And that was what I was taught that love was that, you know, when you love someone, you do what they want, or when you love someone, they get to ask questions or get to be controlling or get to, you know, show that they're worried about you because, because that's love. They're just asking because they love you. Or when you love someone, like just all of these things that I had thought from that young age that, yeah, that's love. Like that's normal. You know, you, you do whatever he asks, whenever he wants, that's normal. It's because I love him It's because he loves me. And so that's what I mean when I say going back to over a decade ago, I first started questioning these things and really understanding or seeking to understand how I could reconstruct my conception of what well, is that love and what do I want love to mean to me and what role do I want to play in all of that? So starting from that, <laughs> that young age. And from those experiences that I had had. Wow. Wow. So like, and how long was this relationship that you were in? So this one, I have some more, but this one was from when I was 16 to when I was 18. So when I graduated high school and I moved out of the city to go to college, that ended up falling apart because that person stayed in a different city. And really it was only the distance that broke it up. And after that, I found myself in another uh, <laughs> verbally and then physically abusive relationship. So I just went from, you know, from one to another. And that one lasted for, I think, over a year. So until I was 19. So the first relationship that I had had where I started progressing out of that cycle was when I was 19 years old. And that was when I first started coming to terms with everything that had happened. And I first became acquainted with therapy and counseling. I was at a university at that point, which PV, I didn't know you went to university of Florida too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 I did my undergrad I, there. Yeah, me too. So at that point I was doing my undergrad at UF and I got support from the counseling center and I first started coming to terms with what had happened to me. Yeah. And I realized like, Oh wait, that's, that's literally not okay. Like not only is that not okay, but that's also, you know, technically like that's against the law that's illegal there were so many things that I didn't realize that had happened that were just in the most like real sense of the word just not okay <laughs> and so that was when I first started to realize that with 
with counseling and with help and, and talking to someone about that. And then being like, nope, that's not normal. Like, that's not okay for you to be talked to like that or treated like that or, or for your body to be treated in that way and or used in that way. And yeah, so 19, uh, doing my undergrad at the University of Florida was when I started to step out of that cycle of repeating those very grotesquely or obviously very clearly negative or abusive situations or relationships. And at that point was when I started to really focus on self-growth. And so at the ripe old age of 19 was when I started having sort of a really challenging moment of reflection. I, I had to come to terms with a lot of pain that I had stored away for a long time in my body and my psyche and my mind. And I really hit a breaking point <laughs> at 19 uh, in college where I, wow, that was definitely a low point. I just had a moment where I realized that I didn't feel like I knew who I was or what I was here for. And like I didn't recognize the person I had become there. I had listened to and related to one of your previous podcast episodes where you talked about medication versus meditation, right? And at 19 was when I first started to take the practice of yoga seriously. I first started doing meditation retreats. I first started uh, modifying the way that I ate because I wanted to put healthier things into my body. I decided to shift my diet to vegan. So I have been vegan since 2014. It was my new year's resolution in January of 2014. And I just basically had this very intense lifestyle shift where at that age, yeah, also I had to cut out alcohol and, and other things that, well, that was the thing that I was using to I think like run away from my feelings and to feel better and to feel more like bubbly and more social and more likable, you know, at, at that stage in my life, I had used that as a way to connect with people and as a way to bond and be like, look, I'm fun. I'm outgoing. <laughs> and so I was using that for a while as a crutch and it got to the point where it was a habit that became more persistent than I'm happy to admit. And <laughs> so at that point in the new year, January of 2014, I just realized I was like, if I continue down this path, some pretty bad things might be able to happen, or it's, it's likely that some pretty bad things could happen. You know, if I just continue going out all the time and drinking heavily to not really feel what I'm feeling and just eating whatever I want, you know, like treating my body like, well, whatever, and not really taking great care of my physical health or my mental health or my emotional health. And so at that point, that was where I just had a paradigm shift. And I started again, shifting from that self-medication into that meditation perspective and looking to find those ways that I could authentically do my inner work instead of putting these band-aids on it and pretending that, oh, it's okay now. And really doing the heavy lifting of doing the inner work to start the journey to become better and to overcome, like you had talked about also in that episode, like the habits or 
you know, the addictive compulsion of, well, this always made me feel better. So, you know, I just want to jump right back into that. And nope, I <laughs> completely changed the lifestyle habits. I completely changed all of that. I did a pretty hard stop on all of that. Wow. <clears throat> Okay, so like being in abusive relationships, uh, so relatable for me because I didn't have the best role models growing up. My parents have a really messed up relationship, in my opinion. Like there's physical abuse involved. Um, you know, it's just I don't even understand why they're together. And I ran away from home when I was 17 because like there was physical abuse, like so my dad inflicted that upon my mother. My mother inflicted that upon us. And I went out into the world. I ran away because I was like, no, I can't do this. And I got into an abusive relationship. And, you know, my mother used to always be like, this is how the world is. This is just how everyone is. Everyone's right. lives are like this. And so I got into this abusive relationship and I was like, wow. I guess she was right. And so yeah. I was like, this is love. This is what love is. And so like, I did that for six years. And after that point, and it was distance that broke us apart because he didn't really care. He, this was in college, like that lasted from high school to co- second year of college. And he went on this uh, year abroad without even telling me and I was so broke heartbroken at first and it was such a blessing because finally this thing was out of my life and I met this amazing person this really nice guy and I was like safety that's it this is this is as good as it gets and he was like a really nice guy I didn't actually know what I wanted and our values did not align and I was like I'm breaking the cycle by leaving home I get into this other cycle of an abusive relationship and then I marry this person even though there's no love or passion and this time around I'm the abuser and that was a lot that was a lot I, I spoke to him the way my mother spoke to me um, I went as far as slapping him a lot and it was just like a very toxic relationship and at the end of it I was taking a lot of medication and drinking a lot mm-hmm. and I just had a really messed up view of the world and I just remember being suicidal I was like how do people live lives how what how does everyone choose to be alive every day? That Because I was so suicidal. I hated my life. I hated who I was because I wasn't living in alignment with my, what my values were. In fact, mm-hmm. I didn't know what my values were. And from the outside, I'm over here like, oh, my business is going really well. Um, I'm at a top tier university at the time. I was studying at Harvard and everyone's like, oh yeah, Vivi, you're doing great things. Good job. And my relationships were really messed up. I had really high employee turnover. I had really high friend turnover. And the person who was closest to me, I was just like chipping away at his soul because it made me just like really irritated that he was okay with life. 
And so I got divorced. I got divorced and I let all that go. And in my current relationship, in the beginning, I found myself doing very similar things. I was like, oh, you cannot do this again to another person because the guilt, you don't realize that there's guilt, but it's there deep down inside, just brewing and driving all of your decision making. You know, it's so I recently started coaching and one of the things that we get into is value-driven decisions. That, wait, so yeah, none of us choose to be alive or none of us choose to be born. But at a certain point, we choose to stay alive. Like, my question is, why have you decided not to kill yourself today? You're asking me that? to everyone yeah what is yeah what is what is your purpose yes I'm going there like why do you wake up every morning because (laughs) I recently realized I wake up every morning to spread consciousness and self-awareness and I do that by helping people cultivate joy and fulfillment from within while balancing their external worlds and under that umbrella for me is this podcast to have these meaningful relationships um writing my coaching and you know recently I've decided I'm going to do a wellness retreat so what what's your why do you wake up every morning like what's your relationship with yourself and yeah how yeah life after all of the experiences (laughs) you've had I want to well I wanted to thank you for sharing about your experiences too with being in that cycle and seeing that cycle start at home, right? With dad and then going to mom, then going to you and then going from that situation to your partner, being with a partner and then going from that to being with a different partner and then you being the one who's who's maybe like living still in that state of survival or in that state of, of violence, that state of, right? Like survival mode. Like I need to make sure that I survive. You know, the world is violent or the world is scary the world is cruel sometimes and I definitely want to acknowledge that because I love how clearly you explain that that's exactly how I see a lot of the times abuse spreading or violence spreading is that once it's perpetrated on someone else it's so so easy for us to then go and also spread that to other people myself included too right because having been on the receiving end of so much guilt and manipulation and control and anger and abuse, it's then therefore very easy for me to, when I'm stressed or when I'm triggered, to jump right into that like fight or that survival response or that trigger, you know, because it, it, it takes me back to, you know, being in those situations of, it, it feels like a survival, right? And even for you, when, when you left home at 17, that was you literally surviving. And that was you like surviving as the best as you can and as best as you could at that time. And so just the fact that you've been working to break out of perpetuating that violence within yourself, I think is already something fantastic and commendable. And it clearly shows that that's not your values. Like those aren't your values. And so thank you for explaining that because I think that is a perfect example of how that violence, sometimes we carry it with us, right? And it lives on inside of us. And sometimes it's hard to let go of that even when we're out of the relationship 
And this is the challenging part about being in those abusive relationships or those situations. It's hard to get out of them, period. Like, it's just really hard to get out of that when, when that's normal and when that's your normal. And then even sometimes when we do get out of them, we still carry that violence with us. And that's where the self-love piece comes in, right? Because before turning to a different partner or a different relationship and like moving on, like, oh, I'll just find another partner. I'll do something different. I'll do this. I'll open another business or I'll start a new company, right? Whatever it is. It's like you said, turning back to ourselves and seeing, okay, well, what inside myself can I look at? What can I work on? What can I focus on so that I'm no longer perpetuating this cycle of abuse? And of violence within myself, with my partner, with anybody in my life. So I couldn't have said it better, really. Yeah, exactly. And so like relationships aren't just toxic relationships are not just with people. They're with things too. Um, you know, I found myself having a really fucked up relationship with money. Like, Uh, and I uh, openly talk about this mm -hmm. because after a certain point, I was losing my mind. I was having panic attacks. I had a really messed up relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, baby, you need to take some time off. And I wouldn't take time off. I would just take more Adderall. And I was like, no, I gotta, I gotta make money. I gotta make money. And I had a lot of money saved up from like, you know, selling the algorithm to my, that I used for my company. Um, and I'm, I was in good standing with myself, but at the same time, my fear, my security, my sense of security had been shaken Yeah. at like such a young age. I realized I've, I found myself just chasing money. I was like, people, you're going to end up losing all of it to probably your addictions that you have right now. If you don't take the time to just live off of your savings for a little bit and heal yourself. You know, that relationship, you fix your relationship with yourself and it becomes so authentic that it transfers into just like your relationship with other people, with other things. And you become your most authentic self. You know, the Japanese have a saying that you have three faces. One, the one face you show to the world, one face you show to people who are close to you, like friends and family, and one face you only get to see. And yesterday, uh, I have this journal like that asks daily questions. And yesterday's question was, what do you do when no one's looking? And I was like, Nothing different because at this point in my life, I've become, I live so authentically that the face the world sees is the face that I see. It's the same face. I only have one face that everyone gets to see and including myself. You know, so when you're coaching with like relationships, what are some of these questions that come up? Because a lot of times we have I've noticed that it boils down to communication oh yeah and it it starts with how we communicate to ourselves because I realized I had a self-narrative a self-talk I used to yell at myself and I didn't even notice that and I started talking to like my consciousness was like this adult that started talking to my mind as if it was a child 
reading with it with compassion. Yes. My ego and my mind are my children. (laughs) Yes. Wow, baby. This is beautiful. You're yeah, I've I've done work with inner family systems, so IFS, and it's exactly what you talked about. It's where it's where we're looking at the parts of ourselves that need a little bit of nourishing or a little bit of attention, maybe for anyone who's ever worked with children or who has children of their own or has done caretaking for, for another person, then they'll understand pretty well that when you're in a caregiving position, it's a lot of emotional regulation and it's a lot of parenting or providing that nurturing for those those parts that need to be taken care of, right? So whether it's a child, whether it's a parent that needs uh, special care or an aging parent that needs care, it's exactly like what you said, looking at the communication, starting with how we communicate with ourselves. And a lot of the times when we're thinking something or we're in a moment of stress or tension, we talk to ourselves the way that usually our parents or our caretakers Mm -hmm. talk to us when we were younger. And so I realized so much of that, that constantly I would hear the voices in my head that were either from my, my caretakers or maybe from like a person who was an important role in my life, or even from teachers when I was younger, like in middle school or high school, probably more middle school <laughs> of teachers. Cause I was younger and more impressionable at that age. Right. And I, I would hear all these voices in my mind of just that I had absorbed of like your mother had told you, you know, this is just the way the world is like people are violent, people are abusive. Like this is normal. You better get used to it because if not, you're going to be disappointed. Like if you expect something different, you're only going to disappoint yourself. And so I had narratives and I had stories also in my mind of, okay, the world works like this and women are treated like this. And my role as a woman is this. And saying that specifically like for my role and it wasn't until college and probably (laughs) yeah college after college and then also grad school where I was like "Mm, nope that's not my role like actually no like there are all these other things that I want to define for myself that I don't want to keep carrying around the naysayers or the voices from people who were just trying to protect me right like your mom was just trying to protect you she was just trying to let you know Hey, it's going to suck. Like better start getting used to it now. She wasn't saying that because she wanted to hurt you or because she didn't care about you. You know, in my opinion, I, I feel that that was coming from a place of, I don't want you to be disappointed. So just like, don't set your expectations high, keep them low. And so I've had a lot of people who've given me feedback in my life who maybe genuinely cared about me or who wanted what was best for me, but I still would carry their voices with me or, just carry like their negativity or their truth or their life story, which is not what I agree with. And I had carried that for a really long time too. And it wasn't until looking at, like you had said, like those patterns of abuse that I had carried with me and within me that even when I wasn't with those people anymore, I wasn't with those partners anymore. I would still keep kicking myself. Like I would still keep talking down to myself. I would still keep like sighing and shaking my head at myself. Like, I can't believe you did that, you know, (laughs) or like, this is your fault or that was so stupid. Why would you say that? Right. So like, I was still carrying all the voices of that pain and of that abuse 
in my mind and, and talking to myself in that way. And those people aren't in my life anymore. Right. And those people aren't impacting or controlling my life anymore at all. But am I still carrying some parts of that into my present? What parts of that am I still carrying? And can I identify that? Right. And so you had asked me about coaching and I actually had an incredible session with a client today where we talked about that inner doubt. And so we were talking about just being, you know, being someone who understands your self-worth and your Mm self-value and still sometimes having these moments of doubt, like, I just don't really feel confident today. I just don't really feel good today. You know, I don't want to go out on this date. I'm feeling really nervous. I don't know if I can do this. And again, this is with a person who is so accomplished, who is successful, who is beautiful. And this person is still having these doubts. And we talked about that inner voice, how that's in the back of your mind and how until you address, like you said, PV, until you address that inner voice, no matter how much self positive self-talk or how much like I can do this, you, you stack on top of that, you're still going to have that inner voice of doubt that's calling BS on you. That's like, you know, you're worthless or, yes. you know, like, you know what your mom said, or, you know, what, what your ex said, like, you know, he's right. You know, she's right. You know what your teacher said was right when they, when they called you such and such at school, or they said, you're going to be a failure, you know, like your grades are shit. Like it, there's, there's just that inner self-doubt that we still have. And so we're working on addressing that instead of stacking on positivity and affirmations and I can do it. And I love myself and I'm so beautiful and I'm confident on top of that existing doubt, you know, that we have from carrying these hurts. How can we address that existing doubt now so that it doesn't keep popping up as we develop our confidence and as we know that we are confident, proud, you know, successful and just incredible people. So that was something that came up recently. And I think that's very interesting because you were talking about talking to those parts of yourself and parenting those parts of yourself, right? Nurturing them, giving them maybe the love you didn't really get when you were that 17 year old who just wanted support, safety, love, and who didn't have anyone to provide that. And so it's like, where do I get that from? I guess I get that from myself. And how can I give that to myself? And what I realized you mentioned about chasing those addictions. What I realized for myself was that as a teenager, I was chasing that love and that fulfillment and that sense of purpose in relationships. And so every new partner I got, I'd be like, tell me I'm worthy. Tell me I'm beautiful. Like, tell me you love me. Just please like, give me some confidence. Give me some self-esteem. I like, I really need you to tell me that I'm all these things because I need to hear that. And I was chasing in these relationships. I was chasing that sense of self-worth and that sense of self-respect, that sense of you are good enough, you do deserve to be happy, you, you, do, you are worthy of love, of joy, of commitment, of compassion, you are good enough. And in chasing that, that was a losing game because I would end up not feeling fulfilled and that person is obviously not emotionally responsible for making sure that my self-esteem is intact, that's not their job. That's my job. And so it ended up just leading to a lot of feelings of emptiness and a lot of feelings of just not fulfillment and feeling like it was an empty relationship because I wasn't happy first. And I would keep asking my partner to please validate me. Like, I really just need to feel like I'm good enough. And that was a losing game for myself that I was playing. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. 
gosh, there's so many things. Hold on. Let me process. <laughs> Where do I want to take this? Because there's so many directions to take this. You know, something that's coming up for me is that we don't realize that we have the power. Like, you know, Sadhguru says, um, it's not about being superhuman. It's that being human is super. You know? Yeah. Um, and it is like we have superpowers and we all of this self-doubt that like runs in our minds and tells us, no, you can't do it. You know, I realized that a really messed up inner dialogue where last December we were at uh, my partner Andrew's uh, parents' house and I'm looking out the window and just thinking, wow, because it's his childhood house. I was like, wow, he had an amazing upbringing. And I'm looking at the back at the backyard. It's beautiful. And I start thinking to myself, oh, my God, um, at the time we weren't engaged. And I, at the time, it's like, oh, my God, uh, you know, you maybe you don't deserve this you don't deserve this. He's too good for you. And I started panicking and justifying to myself, like, no, 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 you're awesome. Like you've done great things. Like you had a company, you did the Ivy League thing, you have money, like, no, you're a catch. It's like, why am I, first of all, defining myself with that narrative? I like, now I define myself with, no, I'm a really stable human being who's really control learn to control my emotions, have self-regulation, have uh, a very articulate, clear inner dialogue. I have full length conversations with myself. Part of why I decided to do this was like, uh, I'm going to end up being a crazy person if I don't start having conversations with other people. Uh, But I realized along the way, our brain is a hard one. Like hardware, and yes. the our mind, the neural pathways that we create is the software. Exactly. Guess what? The programming softwares have updates, bitches. <laughs> it's totally possible. Yeah, they should be updated. Actually, yeah, otherwise, that's it called growth as well. Yeah, yes. they need to be updated regularly. Lose it or lose it literally right when I started becoming depressed I realized I was getting into a state of just being a toxic person no I used to think oh I'm so smart I have an Ivy League education (laughs) (laughs) if people around me would be like you know sucking my dick all the time (laughs) like oh PV good job good job like you're doing awesome things and I was like yeah yeah this is it except inside (laughs) I was like miserable yeah, I had to update that software and to pull myself out from like the depths of despair. Literally, the world the, looked duller. All the colors looked actually duller. And now I look at the world, I'm like, wow, everything's so bright and colorful. I just see joy and, you know, funsies in every moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yes, we have the power to rewire our brains. And for me, it starts with, wait, everything around us 
is just a lot of information and we're little sponges our entire lives our brains are little sponges they say oh it's just little kids like yes they're most prone then but exactly oh yeah more prone yeah mm-hmm. yeah but that's like that's what the subconscious is archived files they're all still there yeah <laughs> they're all still there when- when I started meditating, I remember it was really hard for me to stop thinking. I just saw a talk with Eckhart Tolle and he's like, have you found the off button to your brain? And I was like, what is this woo-woo nonsense? Except I started meditating and I found it very difficult to sit still. I was like, oh, that's my ADD, super identified with this label. Um, and it's like, okay, just stop thinking. You can do it. Two hours later. <laughs> like, um, and what I realized is I started paying attention to my thoughts. So at first it was like a lot of task-oriented stuff. And then in between all of those thoughts were these old traumatic memories from when I was like six years old, being like locked in a room with my dad, like, beating my mom in another room and it was just like so traumatic and I didn't realize that this was coming up this was running in the background of my mind like my processor was overheating that's what those panic attacks were now like it's some deep-rooted trauma and then mm-hmm. I I resolved that with myself like okay hey memories of past is just an archive in your mind And the future is just like an expectation in your mind. The only time that's real is the present. And in the present, you're really safe. You're safe. You've worked really hard to get to where you're at. And those memories stop floating around. And now it's like, and this layer of anxiety from underneath just like was removed. And I was able to, because I had that conversation with myself as an adult to a child, basically. Yeah. It's you talking to you when you were living in that memory, or maybe it's you talking to yourself when you were feeling that fear. And at that point, there wasn't a parent available to talk to you or to make you feel better or to comfort you in any type of way or a guardian or mentor. So it's like a form of self-mentorship of going back and finding those parts of yourself that still feel hurt that didn't have an opportunity to heal or they didn't have time or space to heal because they were so busy in survival mode. Like we said that it wasn't safe or conducive to healing. It's not like in that moment you could have been like, "Mm, I'm okay. Like I'm one with everything. I'm part of consciousness. I'm not really suffering right now because that would be just so inauthentic and just so not true. And like, that'd be great if a six-year-old could do that. That'd be great. If me as a 16 year old could do that, I wasn't capable of that type of higher thinking at that age. And no, our brains aren't formed enough, like, yeah. not physically, it's not possible. And it's like, yeah. that pain allows <laughs> us to grow. Like you can't have growth without pain. It's just not possible to have the peaks without the valleys in between. Right. Like, that's like, that's the definition of a valley, <laughs> the space between two peaks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like in those moments mm-hmm. where you're having the conversation with yourself is actually you're rewiring the networks in your brain on a physical level and you don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all about that reprogramming. And that's a big focus too, with coaching 
And with what I work on, I call it instead of reprogramming, I call it rescripting. So I call it the narrative, right? We're writing the narratives and we're scripting our own, not only pasts, but also the present and the future. And so, for example, I explained a little bit of this in my TED talk, but just to give a very brief summary, I talk about the title of it is called The Death of Poor Me, because for a very long time, it was really easy. And I would almost say convenient for me to describe my past in terms of victimhood, because very like disgusting things happened that I wouldn't wish on anyone that I don't think anyone deserves to feel. And that's a very easy and clear narrative of having experienced victimhood or of having lived there and of having been a victim of the circumstances that were happening at that time. And so being that like not fully developed brain stage of of younger growth, right? Being at that point in my life, there wasn't really any alternative narrative. That was just what it was. And so in the premise of the talk, I talked about the death of poor me because that was my beginning of my journey at 20. So years after that had passed, the beginning of my journey towards saying, well, I don't want that to define me as for the rest of my life. This, you know, unfortunate thing happened. I had these experiences of trauma and I identify as a victim and I decided to switch that narrative to, well, is there a way that I can think about this and maybe process this and learn from this, that instead of identifying more strongly with the narrative of victimhood, I can identify with the narrative of, well, look at all that I learned. Like I learned literally so much and just breaking down into what I learned, even from the situations that at the time were outside of my control. And it's, it's just shifting that narrative and rescripting that narrative. So instead of defaulting back to the narrative, similar to, right, like what I just resonated so much with what your mom said, like the narrative of this is just how the world is, because, you know, it's just so easy to shift into that narrative of this is normal. People are hurtful. People will, will do things to hurt others. You know, there's, there's evil. They're bad. We got to be careful, right? Protect yourself. So instead of falling into that narrative of shifting it to how can I as a person grow from that event and how can I as a person grow from that pain? And that's really what was the catalyst into moving me into the area of coaching because ever since I did that, that TED talk, gosh, it was like, I think seven years ago now, uh, I, something shifted for me and I just felt the importance for me of dedicating myself to helping other people expand their emotional intelligence, expand their self-esteem, be able to re-script their own narratives because the things that happen to us don't have to, if we choose, they don't have to be those defining factors that we carry with us for the rest of our lives, which is very clearly what you did as well. You completely rewrote all of your narratives from everything that you learned that was success and happiness, and you chose your own path into what you felt was fulfilling. You define success on your own terms. And I had to re-script what I thought love was. I had a definition that was no longer serving me. Love for me involved control, it involved manipulation, it involved jealousy, it involved um, unkind words, unkind actions. And I'm still in the process of re-scripting what is love, what can love look like, and rewiring, like you said, or reprogramming those old habits of, it doesn't have to be this way you know, that that's somebody else's reality, but that doesn't have to be my reality as well. I can choose something different. 
I can choose a different narrative and I can choose a different way that I see myself and my relationship to the world around me and others around me. So I rescripting in that way. Yes. And rescripting, you said that like you're still in that process. We're always in that process. That's called growth. Yes. Like that's what <laughs> growth is. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny, like I just, I really live in that growth mindset now where, you know, I used to be like, oh, I've changed every year since my 20s. There must be something wrong with me. It's like, no, that's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, we're constantly growing and shedding and growing and shedding. That's called life. That's called life. Literally, you look across the board at life. And we're just constantly doing that. Even our, like, uh, uterus does that monthly, in fact. Yeah. That's, <laughs> like, an like, that's a very real example. Yeah. 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 <laughs> of regenerating or evolving or changing. And then also, too, of those studies that say that every seven years you have a completely different body because all yes. the cells and organs have replaced themselves. Like, your hair has, has regrown or your internal organs have shifted, your taste buds have changed and your body's like a newer, different body. Every you're seven new, years. Yeah. You're a new, different version of yourself. It's, uh, and a lot of people make uh, these uh, drastic decisions and we call it the seven year itch that like you see a lot of, uh, I've noticed patterns of a lot of people get divorced around seven years oh. or they'll start having, I have like, you know, my ex-husband, um, he was born seven years after his parents were married. And then seven years after that, they had his brother. <laughs> and just like seven years tends to be, it's like a pattern. Oh, um, Yeah. Well, so, that. yeah thank you so much for first of all being so vulnerable raw authentic vulnerable and you're really adding to what I want the space to be um so where can people find you so people can find me on my website it's jessicaashleysteel.com and they can also find me on tiktok or on Instagram from the exact same handle. It's at Jessica underscore compassion. So on TikTok or Instagram, I use the the same handle. And it's a space that I hold to share on TikTok. For example, I started using that space recently as a space to share about failures, to share about lessons learned, to share about things that I've experienced in my own personal life, fights that I've had in my own relationship and to laugh about them and say, well, here's what I learned. So even though I had this unpleasant experience and, you know, we got into a disagreement, here's what I learned from it. And so I, I started using that platform on TikTok to share those failures and to celebrate them and to be more authentic too on Instagram and practicing that authenticity instead of just posting those picture perfect moments and, exactly. you know, right. Like showing that beautiful, perfect image. I also started using that platform too for a little bit more authenticity and transparency, like you said, to be able to create that space to, to share and to learn more about our failures and celebrate them. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Living with intention. 
up in here. Yeah, when you sent me your headshot, I was like, yes, I loved how raw it was. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's it. That's me. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This episode could not have been possible without you. I felt like we went so deep. <laughs> Thank you, PJ. Thanks for making the space for everybody to share and for, for me to talk to you. I appreciate that. Awesome.